Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It is good to have you here tonight. If you would be, open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers in your pew Bible, that'll be on page 117. 117. Uh, we are studying this book in conjunction with our reading through uh, the Bible this year and our study Bible that's laid out in chronological order. Those are available out at the member kiosks tonight. We will be bringing that sale of these for $10 around to a close pretty shortly. So if you haven't picked yours up yet or if you want to get one, go by tonight and purchase that. And uh, be sure you pick up one of the pamphlets that has the schedule on it. And let's read and study together. And from time to time throughout the year, we'll have lessons like tonight where we will pick the text of the lesson based upon where we are in our Bible reading. Also, remember to pick up the cards advertising and inviting folks to our Bible class emphasis day that is coming up this coming Sunday. And let's be prayerful about that. Let's be mindful of it as we see individuals this week and as we go out of our way to see individuals this week to make sure that we give them an invitation. Do keep in mind as we continue to try to reach out in the community and let the love of God show as we serve others in our community that the work day at the Little League Park was postponed because of uh, inclement weather this past weekend, and so it will be on this coming Saturday from 8 to 12, and you'll meet in front of the equipment room there. If you have any further questions with that, be sure and see JP on that. Also, we uh, are so thankful to be a part of a congregation uh, where the, the love for God is evident in the way that we love others, and that's what we're taught in John the 13th chapters. That how, that's how we show the love of Jesus Christ. And a great theme verse that's been placed upon this ministry to reach out, especially to those in our own household, is 1 John, the third chapter. If you do are not familiar with the third chapter, verse 16, 17, and 18, read that. It will inspire you. After you read that, you'll want to do more if you already don't want to do more. And uh, we're thankful for the transition ministry that's beginning. And we look forward to seeing ways that we can serve each other. You know, it always makes us feel better when we're able to reach out and help others. And this transition group will actually be supporting each other and helping each other as well as a congregation offering a network of support in various ways. And, and no doubt, it's going to be a positive thing. Number one, it's the right thing to do. But number two, it's going to be a, we're going to be a part of a positive thing. And number three, it's going to feel good doing it. And that's a wonderful thing all the way around. So let's be prayerful about that and let's be involved in it whatever way God gives us the opportunity to be involved in that. As we think about reading through the Bible, we think about the first five books of the Old Testament written by Moses. Pentateuch is what it sometimes is called. And I'd like for you to think on a timeline for just a moment as I give you just a theme of at least four of those books because as you're reading through the Bible, it helps me to see four of these five books. And we're going to start here being the book of Genesis working down. But as we work down, I need to think about the book of Genesis. A major part of the book of Genesis is actually the birth and the infancy of the children of Israel. We see that beginning in, in the 12th chapter of Genesis. Then we come to Exodus and we find that they've been in the Egyptian slavery and it's time God wants to lead them out. And we see the exiting of that, the book of Exodus. And so they're led out. Then we come in, in this timeline here, then we come to the book of Numbers. And Numbers deals primarily with the years of wilderness wandering. And then when we come to the book of Deuteronomy, 
the children of Israel have literally come to the edge. They're ready to go over now after 40 years of wandering that we read about in the book of Numbers, and they're ready to possess the land that God had promised them. And remember, this is where Moses dies, Joshua takes over the leadership, and they cross over. And so as you're reading through this section of the Old Testament, keep that in mind as you read it. And so right now in our daily Bible readings, we're reading the book of Numbers. And so what we're reading about had to be a very stressful time for Moses and and surely for the people because they're in a holding pattern, if you will. If you've ever flown in a plane and, and you know that you're ready to land, but yet for whatever reasons, you have to go into a holding pattern. And you know, it doesn't take long before people start to get a little bit perturbed with that. When are we going to land? I'm going to be late for appointment. I'm not getting anything done here. It's boring up here. You can imagine all the things that we do after we held for 10 or 15 minutes in a holding pattern. What if you held for 40 years in a holding pattern? And you begin to understand some of the stresses that was placed upon those individuals. But even beyond that, we see that God gives us a lot of details that helps us to see the nature of God. And then sadly enough, it also helps us see the nature of mankind. As we look at this next slide, I'd I'd like for you to just think with me some interesting facts as I looked at various studies here of this book. We've already mentioned the fact that this book deals primarily with 40 years of wilderness wandering. But what is very interesting is most of this book deals with the second year of the wilderness wandering and the 40th year of the wilderness wandering. And there's really only two stories primarily that deal with something out of the other 38 years. And those two stories are in the 16th chapter, we see the story of Korah and his household. And then in the 17th chapter, we see Aaron's rod budding. And those two stories take place outside of that second year and that 40th year. The Hebrew name for this book would, would deal with the wilderness wandering. And other names that's given to this book is, is uh, a, a book of the journeyings. Another is a book of complaining, uh, a, a book of murmuring. Uh, the, the English name, in other words, almost all of our modern day translations today have chosen to call this book the book of numbers. Now, that's interesting because it does break down and the to- two times that the God, was to- God told the Moses to number or take a census of the children of Israel. And in just a moment, we'll look at that. But on this, last sli- on this slide here, the last thing we want to mention is if we want to summarize this book from being just a very realistic approach, not trying to make it sound pretty, we would have to summarize it by saying it's a sad story of unbelief. But if we did want to take and look at it from a positive perspective, we could say this, it's a call to faithfulness. In other words, we see the first generation of Israel, we see their unfaithfulness that led them into that pattern of wilderness wandering literally became a funeral march. And I don't mean that they were marching on the way to someone else's funeral. They were literally marching around for 40 years waiting for that generation to die. If they were a part of the unfaithful, they were going to pass away before the younger generation could enter in. Well, let's pause for just a moment. Why write a book about it? I mean, that's a pretty sad time in the period of mankind. You know, sometimes we like to take those sad things and just forget it. Let's put it on the back shelf. I don't want to think about that anymore. But yet, isn't it interesting that God said, whoa, whoa, Moses, we want a book about this. Why? No doubt it was a book given so that the future generations, this younger generation and the future generations could look back and see God expects us to be faithful. And unbelief will always be punished by God. 
Two times tonight, I want to take just a little time and share with you what a New Testament writer, obviously inspired by God, a New Testament writer would say about the time period and even the book that we're studying out of tonight. Now, notice why we'd want to do that. What if tonight, I, to any of you that are reading through right now the book of Numbers, and I said, hey, what do you think God wants you to learn? Well, I, I could give my opinion of some things I believe God would want us to learn. And if you've been studying, you could give your opinion. And that's very useful. That's what we need to do is study the Bible to say, what does God want us to learn? But isn't it, isn't it really neat whenever we can turn to another inspired writer and him use this text to say, here's what I want you to learn from that book back in Numbers. Let's do that with the book of Hebrews. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, the third chapter. Hebrews, the third chapter. And, and let's notice what the Hebrew writer wanted them to learn, and he chose to use the very book that we're studying out of to be a text example of where to learn this lesson. Now, to get this whole lesson, we'd have to start back in the third chapter and take up most of the fourth chapter, and we just don't have time in this lesson to do that. So I just want to lay the idea of thought here, and later on in the week, you might want to study these chapters a little more as you go back and read through the book of Numbers to say, do I see this? This is what the Hebrew writer said, I ought to learn from this. Do I see it as I'm reading through? Let's just begin in the third chapter, in verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed. Was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see, if you don't underline that, that phrase... At least underline it in your mind. We're coming back to it in a minute. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Isn't that interesting? He gives us line by line example of things that we read in the Pentateuch. And then he says, talking about us going back and reading the Old Testament, he says, so we see. Hebrew writer, what did you want us to learn from that? He says, I want you to see that they did not have the land of rest. Why? Because of unbelief. The book of Numbers is written to call people to belief. It's a call to faithfulness to say, look how God deals with unbelief. It's a call to faithfulness to say, now let's be humble and, and admit we struggle with faithfulness. And so it's a call to faithfulness to say in humility, look, this is something all of us need to be aware of. It's easy for us to stop doing things God's way. And we need that reminder to come back to God's way. Let's read just a few more verses here, and, and then we'll see the point made, that these are some lessons that the Hebrew writer wants us to learn. Therefore, see, he's still working off of the children of Israel. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. For the word which they did, uh, which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. That's an interesting way to use the verbiage or the wording of, okay, was the problem they didn't hear the message of God? No. Moses and Aaron gave them the message of God. 
Well, what was missing? You know, you're, you're making a cake. You're, you're making something and you're using various ingredients. Oh, there's an ingredient missing. What's missing here? He says, what's missing here was that simple fact that they didn't have faith. They had the message. They had God's word, but they didn't have the faith to live it out. In verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath... They shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. By the way, just for what it's worth, department, the word rest here, most of the time throughout the third and fourth chapter, is literally talking about when you and I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. What happens in the waters of baptism? Our sins are forgiven. In other words, we are unleashed from the shackles of sin. And so we come out of the waters of baptism and we have rest. We're no longer under bondage of sin. We are free. We have rest. And so see, the children of Israel, now it makes sense why he would use them as an example. They had been in Egyptian bondage. They had been physical slaves. And they were going to be given a land of freedom, a land of rest, so they could be free from sin. And so now the Hebrew writer writes and says, do you realize spiritually you could have that same freedom? You could be released from the bondage of sin. But you know what? You're not going to have it if you do what the children of Israel did. What did they do? They came right up to the edge and then just didn't have enough faith to finish. Isn't that terrible that that's kind of like a characteristic of mankind? just don't have quite enough faith to finish, make sure that's not a characteristic of you. I know that Phil played with our young people this weekend. They had a tremendous trip, and Phil always does such a good job on those. We have such wonderful young people and the way they conduct themselves. But last night, Phil pled with them to not be one of those that doesn't finish. That's what the Hebrew writer is saying here, and he uses one of the most perfect examples we could have of the children of Israel coming right up to the edge of the promised land and then saying, the giants are too big. The cities, the fortified walls are too strong. The land has too many resources and strength for the enemy to use against us. We give up. We can't do it. And they did not obey God because they lived by sight and not by faith. Let's go back to an overview for a few minutes and uh, let's look to this next slide here. And in this overview, I'd like to share with you just something about the book of Numbers. I thought it would be appropriate for at least to share something of Numbers since that's what the book is called. And I know we have a few mathematicians in here that you'll really love this part. And for all of you who are more creative, don't zone out completely on this. We won't stay on the numbers very long. But it is interesting to think about the book of Numbers when we read in The first chapter, verse 1 through 4, that's where God commands that all of the children of Israel are to be numbered if, according to the end of verse 2, it's going to be the males. And in verse 3, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel. And so they went about and they numbered them. And when we read down in verse 45 and 46, we see that the number was 603,550 men that met that criteria. And then notice the, the suggestion of... Uh, from whoever the experts would be, of if you had that many men age 20 and above, that that probably would make up a nation of between 2 to 3 million people. 
Now, isn't it interesting that we know they stayed in Egyptian slavery for 430 years? So you could say that would be somewhere around 10 generations. But do you remember when Joseph brought his family down into Egypt? You remember how many he brought down? There were only 75. And so you look at that and say, wow, is it possible that in 10 generations or so that, that you could go from 75 in number all the way up to 2 to 3 million in number? I didn't check these numbers, but from what I've read this week, that if you took that first generation of 75 and every husband and wife had three sons and three daughters, and they all married, and you did that six times where every husband and wife had three sons and three daughters, and then for the last four generations, every, every husband and wife had two sons and two daughters, you would have a nation that would be between 2 and 3 million in size. So mathematically, yes, it's very easy for these census numbers to add up. Now, we turn a little deeper into the book, and we look in the 26th chapter of the book of Numbers, and we see a second time. Now, keep in mind, the first time was literally in the second year that they came out, and that's when the census was taken. Now, let's pause for just a moment. Maybe why should there be a census taken? Do you remember when they're going to go over into the promised land, they're going to have to divide their nation, uh, the land itself up to say which tribe receives which territory. And it would just make sense that you'd need to know how many people are in each territory so you know how much land to give them, how much area would be required, and how much resources. Because, keep in mind, every tribe was not the same size. There there were some tribes that were twice in number, like 76,000, whereas maybe another tribe would only have 32,000. And so, you know, it's not just like a lottery system. God's not going to set them up for failure. And so they needed to take a census so proper plans could be made. We've all seen in life how God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. And so when we think about it from that standpoint, there would be no surprise that with this large nation that's being moved to a home, homeland, it's no surprise that God would require them to take a census so that the proper plans can be made. Now, but as we look at these numbers, when we come to the 26th chapter, we see now there's been a glitch. And you remember that glitch, they got all the way up to the edge and they didn't have faith, so now they have to turn back and all of them are supposed to pass away during this time. And so then the question is now, how many is going to be in the second census? Well, when we see in the 26th chapter 1 and 2, the same guidelines were given about how to take the census. And then we go to verse 51, and we see the number comes back at 601,730 men over the age of 20, 20 or over. Now, you realize that was the length of a generation. So you would think, that that number would be at least doubled, over a million p people uh, of, of 20 and older, of the men. But, of course, we have two things in play. This was not ordinary living conditions. They're living in a wilderness. That probably comes into play a little bit, but then you know what comes into play in a major way, and that is the reason we don't see this nation increasing in population is because what God promised was going to happen to them happened to them. Look, if you will, Numbers, the uh, 13th chapter. 
And Numbers, the 13th chapter, is where they sent out the 12 spies. And remember the 12 spies, 10 of them come back with a very negative report. In verse 28, if you scan there, you see they said the land was strong, the cities are fortified. Remember if you were here this morning, remember the lesson about how the, everything about the defense, the strength of defense of a city was based upon whether or not the city was fortified? They looked in and they said, that's one reason we can't cross over. We, we just can't take cities that are that strong. Look at the defense mechanism they have in place. Did you see the walls that they have in place? They're very large. And, and then the descendants, of course, of Anak, they're, they're going to be giants. And, and so they believe the wicked report, not believing the righteous report of, of Caleb and Joshua. And so now let's go to the 14th chapter, verse 29. In 28 and 29, we see what God says to them about this. God says, say to them, this is Numbers, the 14th chapter, 28 and 29, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcass of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. Population did not increase because we see the fulfillment of God's plan here. They're wandering around this wilderness for 40 years and we see all of that generation literally dying off. And so the only increase in number, of course, would be from the younger ones living. And so that gives us some insight to the book of Numbers, which, by the way, in just a moment, we're going to look at an outline of the book. And you'll notice that, see these numbering, the census here was in the first chapter and the 26th chapter. And you'll notice there's two major divides in the book of Numbers, and they're both in that chapter. So really the outline, the natural outline of the book of Numbers is based on the census. All right, let's look at the next slide, and then we'll start wrapping this up. All right, in this next slide, these next two slides, you're going to see a brief outline that is suggested by MacArthur in the Bible commentary that he has written. Notice number one is the first generation in the wilderness. Of course, point number two is going to be the second generation in the wilderness. And you remember what's got to happen to the first generation. Because of the way they conducted themselves in the first half of the book of Numbers, they have to die off. But what's interesting, when you read chapters 1 through 10, you see that they were very obedient, but it didn't last very long. And so when you read 11 through 25, you see the great disobedience of them. Notice how it deals with complaining, rebellion, and then that one chapter. The reason I'm reading these, I want to point out to you chapter 20. That would be the one time of rebellion that we see of Moses and Aaron, and it was because of that rebellion there, they were not allowed to enter into the promised land. So you want to make sure and really soak up that chapter. And then we see that they resumed the children of Israel back to complaining again in chapter 21, and then we see other types of rebellion through the rest down to 25. Let's go to the next slide, and notice this is the major number two. I just put the number one up there just so you could see it together, but now skip down to the Roman numeral two. And notice the second divide there, and that begins at chapters 26 through 36, and now we're dealing with the second generation. Now, isn't this great? When we deal with the second generation, we see a renewed uh, vow to obedience, outcome of obedience. In other words, they were not. This generation was not like their fathers. Moms and dads, think about this for a moment. What if your children grow up and they are extremely faithful in the church and an outsider, if they had to just tell the truth about it, they would have to say, well, I'm glad they're faithful. They sure weren't like their mom and dad. Isn't that terrible? But that's what we learn in the book of Numbers. You've got a generation here that at the end of the book, the book is positive. Why? Because it's about a different generation. 
They had greater faith. They had greater obedience. They had a stronger relationship with their God than their parents had. And so we see that in 26 through 36, now this is interesting, and in a minute we're going to come back to this and extend the invitation based off this. We see the fact that their preparation, their mindset was not about where they were right then. Their mindset was about the place they were going. I tell you what, we're almost out of time. Let's just extend the invitation. Think about that for a moment. We're on a journey. I know we may not be in wilderness wandering right now, but we are supposed to be pilgrims here. Whenever we start making our decisions based on this land, we'll be like the first generation in the book of Numbers. And we'll lose faith and we'll become disobedient. But whenever we start realizing, yes, we are here today, but we're living to cross over into that land that God has promised us, and we start making all of our decisions based on that land that God promises, we set our heart not here on this earth, but in that land that God has promised us. And and we do not have our closest relationships to be people. Our closest relationship is God who is giving us that land. And we have our priorities in order, and we have our convictions in order. We are faithful the book of Numbers, a call to faithfulness. It was a book that took place in wilderness wandering, and those that did it right were the ones that said, we're living for that home we're going to, not for here. Right now, you're either living for here or you're living for that home, but I promise you there is nobody here living for both. Which is it right now in your life? The book of Numbers is a call to faithfulness. Which place are you living for? Let's make sure tonight that we are living our faith, our belief system, our convictions, our heart, and our home is not on this earth. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.